everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hit Recap and Review Podcast. Good. Weird. Great. I am, of course, your host, as always, John. And joining me today from the Sandy Dunes of Alabasta is Patrick Ramirez. Oof, man. Good to see everybody. I just escaped from this weird cabin that was sitting here in the Sandy Dunes. It was full of Sandy's red velvet cake. So weird. (laughs) Thank you, as always, for joining us, Patrick. And also joining us is Jesse Wind. That's me, baby. I almost fucked up the intro and yelled, scary. (laughs) But I thought John would hit me. Today we are discussing the 2011 film Cabin in the Woods, and I'm boy, old. is this a doozy. Yeah, it's that old. I'm uh, so old. There's a lot to talk about. We don't have any emails, so we're going to get right into it. Patrick, as always, as is tradition, we will begin with you. What are your thoughts? I would like to talk about Hunt's spaghetti sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shut the fuck up. This is my time to talk. Uh, but uh, I, I, uh, the offer still stands. Uh, I will ex- I will never accept sponsorship from anything except Hunt's and specifically to Hawk, their delicious spaghetti sauce. We offer could still start a review section I for Hunt's. 30 gallons of that sauce a week. It, not even trying. I could good, weird, great hunts. So maybe we just need to do that, guys. I think we need to talk about this off mic. <laughs> there is um, hunts content in our future, I think. I re- yeah, like, listeners, this isn't a joke. <laughs> wow, we could do a hot ones challenge, but instead of hot wings, it's just spaghetti with different sp- hunt spaghetti sauces. <laughs> we could do a taste test with Patrick and see if he can tell which one is the hunts. Oh, no, we could just rate and review, or we could go from. I want to do yeah. that thing where people put straws in a bunch of cups, and yes. someone blind sips on them and tells oh. you which one is yes. which. Oh, that would be awful. We'd have to get those boba tea straws because the spaghetti sauce would be too chunky sometimes. Only the one I put cum in is going to be bad. I think okay. Patrick could pretty easily tell definitely, which one we're is definitely one not doing cum. this test anymore. <laughs> uh, but back to the movie, Patrick. What were your? Oh, thoughts? we watched the movie. Yeah, we besides the, movie. the spaghetti sauce. For a documentary? Yeah, oh, Cabin yeah, yeah. in the Woods. So, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Oh, Joss Whedon classic. Um, yeah. Instant classic. You said it's from 2012, right? Yeah. 11. Thir- or 11 years. Uh, 2011? Wow. Older than I remember. I remember seeing it in the movie theater. It, it's a great movie. It holds up. It's... Uh, I just love this movie. Uh, I guess starting off, I'd like to talk about how this is kind of talked or kind of shown to us throughout the whole movie, but just the changing roles that the cast plays um the typical archetypes that you'd expect in a horror movie going back from like 70s 80s all the way till 2000s and even later than that even still now there's kind of some like this this one kind of breaks all those rules it has people you'd assume to be the typical like jock and nerd and sexy blonde and all that and it really does turn them on its head and i think that's super cool and interesting that it does that i don't know if another one Another movie kind of had done that before this one. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, also, this movie, yeah, I think I look at it sort of in a slightly different way, Patrick, where I think 
the point is that these characters are all being forced into an archetype that they don't necessarily fit. Right. And they have to be forced into that archetype and they have to be sacrificed. Spoilers. On behalf of these all powerful ancient gods. Yeah. Um, Right. It's like the reason we've seen so many stereotypical horror movies like that, 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 uh, that kind of uh, stay close to that storyline with those characters is because that's what the ancients desire is those roles being fulfilled, which are kind of timeless. They go back to time immemorial, like the fool, the, I think they called the virgin, the strong leader type, you know, all those kind of roles are, they're trying to morph these people into those roles to fulfill their crazy desires for sure. To creepily like, uh, letter of the law not spirit of the law get past this uh set of rules they seem to have i didn't realize yeah. how good of a job they do justifying a lot of these tropes where they're like there, there, there's a reason we do it this way it's been done this way always and we have very very particular reasons why we need it done that way yeah and it's also dependent on the culture, right? Because there seem to be different archetypes in different places. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also, I don't know. I th- there's, there's so much to talk about. So if we want to just stick to the characters and their portrayals, um, then I would sort of like to get into specifics about that because I think that's really the most interesting stuff. So the very first scene of the movie... Uh, what is his name? The Chris. Chris Evans. Evans. Oh, what's his like? You mean Kurt? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. His yeah, character's Kurt. Kurt, exactly. He doesn't, he like throw a football out the window to his black yeah. friend. Yes. And, yeah, and, to his uh, athlete friend. And he is supposed to be the scholar because he's wearing glasses. But in the very first scene, you see that he is playing more of like the stupid jock character. And Kurt even comments that he has the best hands on the team. So he's like a star athlete. He's not necessarily the scholar at that point. Oh, I think they introduce him the, to kind of fool you. It's like, oh, here's the jock. Here's the, you know, quintessential college jock jerk that we're going to meet. And that's how they play it, right? And and I think before that, you see Dana, who's played by Kristen Connolly. She's like dancing around in her room in her underwear, like packing clothes or something like that. And then he walk, yep. her, her friend walks in. Jules, then her boyfriend walks in, Kurt, and you kind of get this feeling of like, oh, these are like stereotypical characters and all that. And then you find out that like Kurt is actually uh, a super smart academic person who mm-hmm. like uh, studies philosophy or some shit. Yeah, it's like you find out later, I think it's sociology. And okay. like Jules, or um, sorry, Dana is like got a stuck on some college professor that she's banged before and like still hung on to, you know, like emotionally. And uh, Kurt is like, oh, if you want to impress your next professor, you know, like, uh, how about this book? You know, like this, another like Russian, I forgot what they said. It was like a, he, he was, yeah, I don't remember Soviet, the name. Soviet economics or something book, something like that, that he pulls out for her that she didn't even know. Yeah. He's like, the professor doesn't have this memorized. So if you recite anything from this book, he'll be really impressed and think you're smart. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I um also this is almost like a meta commentary that fits along these same lines, but you know the the fool Marty um I guess he's the only character that doesn't 
take his shirt off in the lake scene. And so the reason for that was that he apparently that actor is like extremely ripped. Like he is like more jacked <laughs> oh, than the Fran other Kranz. Yeah, he's like more jacked than the other two guys. So like if he took off his shirt, it would be like That's more funny. obvious that he doesn't fit the fool archetype as much. He is a Joss Whedon uh, staple. I think he's been in several of his stuff from like, was he in Buffy or something? Uh, anyway, that was a sense. constant collaborator. And he, I love his role in the movie because he's the pot smoking hippie with the $5,000 coffee cup, cup bong, but he's also the only one making rational decisions the entire time and actually weirdly ends up being like the hero of the movie, arguably. <laughs> yes. Right. He is the reason. I would, I would say, that, yeah. Yeah. Inarguably. He's also weirdly like prescient. Like he says things throughout the movie that are crazy at the the very beginning of the movie he's like society needs to crumble man we're just too scared to let it and then before that he goes we'll just bind them with ancient logics and he just keeps like announcing things that happen later in the movie Mm -hmm. he also stars in a movie called wieners if anybody's (laughs) wondering from 2008 oh man um I I really like this movie. I, I want to pass it on to Jesse because we did ask Patrick. So what what did you want to talk about? So much, man. Yeah. Uh, are, we, are we staying on characters right now? Um, if you have anything else to say about like the mismatched archetypes. Uh, we uh, can... I thought it was cute that they uh, they were like, we're going to have a blonde in this movie. But to get the blonde, we're going to have this lady dye her hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that was cute. We went over Kurt being like interesting and a, like a cool subversion of the fucking jock. Um, no, I don't think I can add too much to the character development. Uh, I have a crush on C- Kristen, if that counts as character uh, details. <laughs> but um, I so, OK, let's talk about the bureaucracy of this like foundation or whatever, then, because I feel like that's the other big part of this movie is how this this practice i guess you would call it that they're carrying out of basically torturing a bunch of people to appease the gods or whatever is so like i don't know if this is a word but like bureaucratized it's so Mm -hmm. mundane and they make it feel so normal and boring um and actually you know obviously they find ways to make it fun and interesting which is a whole other sort of absurd aspect to this movie that I really appreciate is how, you know, the same ways that a normal person would find a way to make their job more entertaining or more fun or maybe just less torturous. I don't know. Um, These people are doing the same thing where they have their little inside jokes and their um, gambling pool and all that. I love the gambling pool so much. (laughs) <laughs> I think that's uh it's there there's flashes of them realizing what they're doing is horrifying to outsiders that's why the character of uh who's the armored guard like ex, uh former marine all right he maybe he's a still marine but he's like from the military he's there to like learn the ropes uh Hansen or Hamlin I can't remember the guy's name but he's there like you know like his first time there and 
you can kind of tell he's just kind of like horrified at what they have to do, even though he's been prepped and been told what it is that goes on here. And they're just jaded to that, right? And you can see flashes of like them maybe dealing with it. Uh, when I say them, I mean the bureaucracy people, mm-hmm. like um, Steve and the other guy. Uh, I don't know his name, but like Steve and the other co-controls uh, operator guy. You can see them kind of dealing with them their own way and with like talking about the mundane and then having to do this horrific ritual that they have to do apparently every year you find out, right? Like this has to be done every year to sac- satisfy the ancients. Otherwise they'll rise up and destroy the world. So it, it, it is every year. Yeah. So they actually, I yeah. wanted to bring this up if, if you guys don't mind me going on a little John tangent. Um, Give it to me, baby. Do you remember that they said that Japan has just as good a record as we do? No, they mm. said Japan has a perfect record and that we're number two. It's like 100% oh, clearance rate. Yeah, that's right. Rate, Japan right? has a perfect rep record and our record is almost perfect except for one year in 1998. 1998, yeah. So do you know what this is a reference to? I just know it's the chem department's fault. So this is supposedly is Independence Day. No, it is a reference to a Lol. movie called The Faculty. Although I, oh, I shouldn't, man. I shouldn't say this is like definitive because there's multiple theories. This is just the one that I think seems most likely. Um, the movie The Faculty was a movie <laughs> where the monster or whatever was defeated by chemicals or something. Apparently, oh, so, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. Suppo- I definitely haven't. The the day was saved thanks to some kind of chemistry or something. So that's why they say the chem department messed it up. And oh, then that's funny. The movie also no, but none of the main cast dies. They all survive to the end. Okay. So that's why it's a failure as far as the like bureaucrats are concerned or whatever. But thankfully, the Japanese pulled through. So <laughs> Fuck I guess yeah. it was fine. <laughs> That's yeah. That's another thing that I thought was interesting is how they talk about. Um, they, they so I think you only see a few of the countries that they have. You see video feeds from different countries with Buenos all the horrors Aires. going on, and it's like just one has to succeed uh, the correct ritual procedure to satisfy the agents to buy humanity another year, and so the stakes are very high. And so like at the end of this movie, when you see that like everyone else has failed, like I think in Japan, I think it's Japan or Korea. I can't remember, but they show like the schoolgirls that have tamed that like, uh, <laughs> like ring girl or the whatever spiritual. Yeah. Thing going on there and like trapping her frog. And they're like, Oh fuck. Like this is like, this is, we have like, this has to work. That's why they get so frantic. And I thought that was really I cool. I that- want to see that movie more than anything. Dude, <laughs> I know. Cannot believe there hasn't been a fucking sequel to this. And that kind of falls into what you said earlier about like the different cultures around the world, like what their archetypes are that they have to fulfill, like what the rituals entail. And so, yeah, you wonder like in that scroll girl one, like who, like who was feeling it was like a leader one and they're like a scared one. And like, you know what was going on? Yeah, for sure. I wonder, like you were saying, if different parts of the globe have different, like if the gods would take a swath of 20 or 30 kinds of archetypes and there are just different divisions of archetypes across the world where the Japanese people are like, yeah, the sacrificing innocence is our thing here. So we usually fuck with like school kids and stuff. Or, oh, what if they boil down to the same, because the tablet room, what if it's the same, but it's just that different people around the world fulfill the same 
uh, goal of blooding the tablet or whatever when I spill tap blood and whatever. I don't know. I think I am just satisfied to know that all the rituals have different rules, basically. It's almost like the gods have a different treaty with all the different cultures, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're like, for the people in, you know, North America, we need, you know, the scholar, the athlete, the blah, blah, blah. And then for the Japanese people, they're like, have some other rule where it's like so many innocent people or so many children or <laughs> one brave person and 99 innocent yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, are we watching fucking ba- uh, Battle Royale next? Dude, we could do that. We could. I'm just kidding. Or Train to Busan. Um, mm. The Curse is Lifted, I think, is a meme that comes from this moment. I might be wrong about the wording of the that. The Curse is Lifted. Oh, like from the Japanese uh, horror thing that's going on? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I, I like how the movie starts, and I'm still kind of decoding in my mind exactly the... Um, no, I don't want to say narrative. Well, I guess, yeah, kind of like the, the the narrative function of this. But the movie starts with the bureaucrats and it's the two main guys. And the one dude's like, yeah, my wife is just baby proof. The whole fucking house. Like she mm-hmm. put the little locks on all the cabinets. I can't even open them. OK, well, I can like open them, but I open them like an inch. I got to put my finger up in it. She put them on the fucking top cabinets, too. And <laughs> It's it's like a long discussion, and I and I almost wonder like well one I was gonna ask you why you think that is, but also I'm maybe it's uh they're so worried about like the small picture they're letting the big picture slip, or maybe is it like humanizing them where it's like they do care about people, but they also have to do what has to be done. So I'm glad you brought that up, Jesse, because um. I think that begs the question, are these the bad guys or is it Marty and Dana that are the bad guys because they doomed humanity? You know, 100 percent. I mean, that just shows me like water cooler talk at the beginning. You kind of don't know who these people are and you slowly get horrified at what they have to do, uh, what their job actually is. And so I think that's funny that, you know, even people people doing any kind of job have water cooler talk even people that have to save humanity from the from the powers of the ancients by doing this bloodthirsty sacrifice that's going to kill like five six people uh once a year and they still have a way to compartmentalize what their job is for sure yeah their way of compartmentalizing it is by gamifying it right (laughs) i mean That's kind of the um, the funny part beating of... Beating the other countries, yeah. Yeah, well, that and then also, like, they're competent bureaucrats, right? Like, they're good at their job where they're like, oh, yeah, did you see that thing I pulled off? And, oh, I bet you didn't think I was going to do this. And, oh, like, watch the master at work, you know? They kind of, like, <laughs> yeah. embrace it where they're, you know, they <laughs> like I said, they're good at their job. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it does humanize them, too, because the other version of this is just like them enjoying it or being like super like patriotically proud of what they're doing, which would make them a completely different character and gross. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's really more just like Patrick said, this is their way of compartmentalizing. (laughs) Um, So 
my favorite joke in the entire movie. Jesse and I talked about this at work. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can't wait to hear what it is. When uh, I forget who it is, they're like, <clears throat> but I, I said zombies. Like, how come I don't win the bet or whatever? And he's like, yes. you said zombies. This is like hillbilly torture zombie family <laughs> yes which is like the difference between an elephant and an elephant seal <laughs> totally different things i i love that whole board i actually took a picture of the the whiteboard <laughs> on my phone because yeah, i wanted to read everything baby. on it and man it has got some great stuff on there um that's why i got... want a sequel because they created this universe <laughs> where all this shit exists i want to see it now yeah, they have zombie retinig torture family, which is totally different from regular zombies. They also yes. have witches and sexy witches. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my favorite one on here just says Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Yeah. And it has no bats next to it. That's from another movie. Uh, that's. Uh, oh, God. I already forgot what that was from. I remembered it. Now I can't. Now I can't remember what that's from. Um, but I, they have. Oh, you know, John. No, this was something else. Um, they also have Deadites from Evil Dead. Um, yeah, great. Angry molesting tree, which we see for a second out of the elevator. You see like a branch come out and grab one of those. Which, which is guys. a reference to Evil Dead. Right, the, yeah, the, the Evil the, Tree. The tree? Okay, cool. Yeah, I just read a thing from the behind the scenes that was like the director. Man, I'm almost uncomfortable to say this now. The director was talking to like the CG people and was like, I want like... I'm a, like, a, wow, I don't want to say any of these words, actually. We could just move on. <laughs> Whoa, what is it? He, we'll said, like, I think he said I wanted like a, a, a tree that's like more of a molester than a rapist or some shit. Wow. I saw it and was like, I don't need to finish reading this. And then you brought up the tree. And so I didn't actually. Yeah. Goddard instructed the digital effects team. He wanted the tree to be more of a molester than a rapist. So it's like groping you as opposed to penetration. Yeah. Well, that sucks to hear. Yeah, I just said all <laughs> these words. Um, yeah, thanks. wow. Oh, Kevin is from Sin City. That's who it is. Okay. Um, um, well, yeah, I guess great. if we're going to talk about all the different monsters and stuff, I wanted to bring up Ooh. the Left for Dead connection. Do you guys know about this? No, I don't. Apparently, the this... Left for Dead. Oh, yeah, preach. This movie was supposed to have like a cross promotion thing with Left 4 Dead and then the deal fell through or whatever, but the CG of the Left 4 Dead characters was already in the movie. (laughs) So if you look in that scene where you see the all the cubes with the different monsters in it, you can see Mm -hmm. like different Left 4 Dead enemies. There's like a witch, a tank, and one other enemy that I forgot. Yeah, witch, tank, bloater. Is Bloater also a thing in Last of Us? Because now I'm like... That's the Last of Us enemy. Whatever yeah. the name of the big fat one from Left 4 Dead is. I thought that was Tank. Let me... I have the article. Maybe, okay. No, you're probably it. right then, John. I misinterpreted what you were saying then. Because Left 4 Dead's fucking forever ago. Yeah. Because one we do see a lot of is the Hellraiser stand-in. The guy with like saw blades out of his head and he's got mm-hmm. the... Pu- it's supposed to be like the game or the puzzle cube, but it's like a... It's like a sphere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like, where um the whole framing device comes into play because when they got to the cellar of the house they found all these different artifacts and then which Mm -hmm. one they interacted with determined what (laughs) monster was going to come for them so that that actually is interesting too (laughs) because it sort of implies that 
their job is to like they have to let the people choose something mm-hmm. to a certain extent they can't just set them up completely they have to allow them some degree of choice and free will they can just for sure point them in the right direction right yeah this they say something very specific totally they say something to the effect that like they have to oh what is the word not it's like something with themselves. free will like free will has to play a part in their death yeah yeah he says something like they have to make this mistake themselves or this choice themselves or whatever it's like they need um, to be punished for their choices yeah right? yeah 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 uh, i'm reading that kevin as you said is a reference to a person named kevin in sin city but mm-hmm. also when they're in the cellar marty when he pulls the like reel of film out and is going through it that's the thing that would have summoned kevin oh, oh from the movie sim city that makes sense that's awesome actually i really need to watch sin city i haven't seen it in forever uh i did want to piggyback on something you said uh i can't remember damn it my favorite death was when kurt oh. drove his motorcycle into the invisible wall RIP. yeah yeah, they that uh, was. I did not see that coming. <laughs> Perfect, because I was reading, and the directors were like, "We really hoped by the time that happened, you would forgot. forget that there was a shield." And they said the first time they played it at like South by Southwest, all of the film nerds that were attending that movie convention paid such close attention that part did not work at all. Mm. And he was like, "Man, I really hope this works with normal people." Yeah, I think it does <laughs> definitely work with normal people. Hell yeah. yeah, man, Chris Hemsworth, like, uh, this role catapulted him into like stardom. I feel like it Josh helped. Whedon also did the Avengers for sure. Apparently, like, recommended Chris Hemsworth for that role. I saw that this, this movie, this was filmed like a year before he did Thor or something. Yeah, that man yeah. is just so handsome and charismatic that it like actually kind of pisses me off at this point. He's, a, he's an Australian Adonis. I was watching some promotional material for Love and Thunder, uh, I guess mm. a couple years ago or a year ago or whatever at this point, and it legit pissed me off how much I was looking at him, and I'm just like, everything about you is so hot that it's just not even fair to normal people. Like, you should just fuck off, honestly. I hate yeah. you. <laughs> I, I remember hearing some story, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jesse. I was just going to say the saving grace of that for me is I heard he's the sweetest man ever. Yeah, that makes it he's worse. friends with Kevin Smith. That makes it so much better for me. <laughs> me and John I, I saw, are on the I, opposite side of this coin. At least if he was a <laughs> shitty person, then, you know, he would be uh, perfect. I, I heard some story from YouTube from some <laughs> actor talking about uh, Chris. Hem- well, you didn't know it was Chris Hemsworth. He said he was at some party in L.A. And, you know, they're having a good time, blah, blah. And this guy walks in and it's just like this golden Adonis that walks through the door and like takes control of the party, is the life of the party. Everybody loves him. Like he's such an easygoing guy and so much fun, like not a dick at all. And then he said he remembers like a year later watching the movie Thor and he's like, oh, that's that guy. <laughs> like He was just, he was a nobody. And then he had just catapulted into fame. He, uh... <sighs> He did a cameo for Kevin Smith's fucking Jay and Silent Bob sequel he did a few years ago, which there's like a whole thing there. But that is what made me realize I love him because Kevin's like one. He invites me to all his Marvel premieres now for like the red carpet (laughs) because nobody else invites me. And two, 
There's no reason he should have done my movie. He doesn't have time to do my movie and his agents didn't want him to do my movie and he did it. And he's like, that's a fucking minch right there. I'm looking over the whiteboard again. I just want to list off a couple more good ones. Sugar uh, okay. Larry. Reptilius. That has no bets, but I want to know what that is. Uh, dismemberment goblins. Those also are great. Has no bets. <laughs> I feel like we saw those later in the uh, in the chaotic scene in the uh, down below area. Uh, dragon bat. Also, yep. all my favorite ones have no bets by them. Sugar Pump Larry also has no bets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, let's see. Jack. Nope. Jack o' lanterns. That's kind of normal. Those are the good ones. We just oh, said man. the good ones. Can we talk about the unicorn? Because yes, in all in all honestly, if a horse had a horn like that, um, it would be a deadly beast. <laughs> like, yes, like there's no reason unicorns should be mythologized as like these majestic creatures that would you know prance around and you know take you to. to Pegasus don't have unicorn horns, right? Nah. Just like unicorns just, you know, run around the forest with horns on them. Like, of course, they'd use it for, like, uh, self-defense and Dude, attacking and all that. Have you seen what a wild horse will do to another wild horse? Oh, do they, like, bite the necks and stuff? They and will kick each kick? other in the head, first of all, which is, like, horrible and disgusting. And they'll also bite each other, like, bite their skin <laughs> yeah. and muscle off with their, like, powerful jaws. They're so scary. Oh, yeah. They are very... Yeah. Fucked up. They're so strong. They'll kill you. Like one kick to the head to kill you. And I yep. this is so off topic, and I, I'm sorry, but I love this topic. Um horses are only like this because of humans breeding them. Uh horses originally were like deer, basically. We bred them to be like big and bulky and strong and fast and shit. So uh awesome. this is just a monster that we created and we, we deserve to live in our filth. <laughs> what i'm saying 100 <laughs> percent. like horses you do you i if you whatever you want to do that's i know i feel like even in the wild they probably had those same tendencies just to a lesser extent like you've seen giraffes go at it with each other right they just smack each other in the neck with their like horn things yeah but horses are like so much more jacked than giraffes i feel oh yeah big, you know yeah like I guess yeah, the imagine like really a kick. super buff giraffe like if they if they were roided out giraffe, yeah. Okay, Nay, brother. Well, there's still stuff to talk about in the actual movie itself, <laughs> so let's take a quick. Wait, we're talking about break. a break. I thought this was Animal Hour. Oh no! Somebody save me! The merman! The merman's gonna get me! And we're back to the podcast. We are still talking about the cabin in the woods. We have covered a lot of ground, but I think there's still some stuff left to talk about. So, Jesse, do you want to tee us off? Well, I uh, I know a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. One thing I thought that was super interesting is that uh, the celebration scene uh, with all of the bureaucrats or whatever we're calling them, office workers, was want. Let's try that again. Uh, Whedon tried to convince Goddard that that needed to be cut and the director broke down in front of Whedon and then Whedon went to the studio and said, we will not be cutting this, which I think is pretty gang. Well, we all know that Whedon's like kind of a piece of shit. This is 2023. I don't know by 2050 if he'll have redeemed himself, but 
it's really cool of a producer to stand up to the movie studio because he believes in his director. Well, and I, those are some of my favorite parts of the movie. It's possible for him to be a piece of shit, bad person and also make the correct creative decision. Mm -hmm. Those those things, those things aren't mutually exclusive. So, you know, right. we, we don't right. have to defend Joss Whedon to say, yeah, that was probably the right call for the movie. You know, this is why I need you around. <laughs> why I need you. Um, Patrick, what did what did you want to talk about? Um, next thing I have are just some jokes I thought were really good. Hell yeah, brother. I talked about it yet. So <laughs> let's do it. It's the joke. Minute. Marty. Marty is the f- I think one of the funniest parts of this movie, if not the funniest part, um, who is uh, Fran. Fran can Fran can Fran Fran Crans Fran Crans <laughs> man that's a hard name it's <laughs> a great name Crans um, the stoner stoner Marty um <laughs> when when they're in the room of the main living room of the cabin and they're talking about stuff to oh the wolf thing fucking was hilarious because uh, she like uh, they dare they dare the blonde chick to go make out. With, with the, the moose. That was grotesque. <laughs> I think that's the only correct way to describe it is grotesquely sexual. I love how they just stay on that wolf's face while she's making out of it and it gets more and more uncomfortable. And you can see Yo. that it's not like a normal uh like taxidermied wolf face. It's got like a rubber tongue or something. It's just like kind of moving when she's like making out with it. I'm glad you noticed that, that too. Great. Apparently I they put like great. a sugary coating on it to make it more enticing for her which is kind of weird uh aside from the moose bit which i thought was great um there's also the part after that when uh, the the door in the floor like a cellar door blows open and then chris hemsworth is like uh the wind must have blown it open and marty's like uh that makes what kind of sense like we're indoors in a cabin (laughs) (laughs) how much wind would it take to blow open a door like that yeah impossible amount yeah, not not gonna happen. Not but gonna. But then again, happen. Marty's the only one seeing true reason because he's not affected by the pheromones and the drugs that they're piping into the cabin to make everyone kind of, you know, fall into their predetermined roles. For sure. In most movies, uh, drugs are bad. In this movie, drugs save the day. Well, drugs that you bring to the uh, tainted house, tainted cabin, are good. The drugs in the tainted cabin, not good. Yes, because they they do say that like they had like tainted weed in there or something, right? Then they're like they couldn't figure out why Marty wasn't falling into line. It's because he wasn't smoking their stash; he was smoking his own stuff that he brought in his five thousand dollar custom tumbler bong. Okay, I. (laughs) Why do you guys keep saying five thousand dollars? That's how much that prop cost to make. (laughs) Did you find that somewhere? Yeah, yeah. So okay, this is related to that. Uh, You brought up ancient logics, right, Jesse? ancient logics yes. so this yes. is this this is the well first of all one of the quotes for marty in this movie is we are not who we are which is awesome mm-hmm. and then this one is statistical fact cops will never pull over a man with a huge bong in his car they fear this man they know he sees farther than they and he will bind them with ancient logics have you gone gray you're not bringing that thing in the rattler a giant bong in your father's van what are you stoned? <laughs> and then he <laughs> collapses. That's it at down. the very beginning too. That's such a great line. That's so good. <laughs> and then he uh, turns around to his car with the window rolled down, 
locks the door through the open <laughs> window the handle. and then checks the handle. I thought that was great, too. So awesome. <laughs> oh, that might be one of my favorite parts of the movie. I forgot about that. That was really good. Well done. Well done, Marty. I also like when they're getting gas. Chris Hemsworth gets out and goes to the gas pump and is holding <laughs> his football. Yeah. Wild. Just driving it, well, really driving it home. Do you remember Marty's line there when he was like, they're like, I don't think this, these gas pumps, no credit cards. And Marty's like, I think this is barter gas. This is barter <laughs> gas, yes. <laughs> I mean, he had some real good zingers in that conversation. At one point he goes like, I think the railroad will be coming through any day now, and it's going to mean a lot of business for this small town. <laughs> or when the, when the Harbinger is talking about the war, and then uh, I think Dana's like, what war is that? And he's like, oh, fuck you. You know what war. You and then know Marty's damn like, well what war. Yeah, and then Marty's like, were there brothers in brother this Brother fighting brother? <laughs> gray like jacket and, and a blue and, jacket? Yeah. <laughs> brother fighting brother? <laughs> Amazing. I'm but glad the Harbinger, we didn't really talk about him. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Harbinger because I had brought that up in uh, Tucker and Dale. Yeah. And uh, this is exactly what I was talking about. They literally call him that in the movie. Like he calls oh, him on the phone and they put him on speakerphone. <laughs> and I, oh, I love the yeah, moment that's he my drops first, it. That's my first note. <laughs> Over Sorry, the speakerphone call, he like drops character when he finds out he's on speakerphone. Right. That part's the best. Mm-hmm. One of the got me on speakerphone. While we're talking about jokes that we like, I also enjoyed. God, all of these are Marty moments. I'm realizing, like, he literally is mm-hmm. the best part of this movie. But um, he says, I, I think uh, Dana asks him, like, truth or dare, and he's like, dare. Like, I dare you to kiss that moose over there. <laughs> he points <laughs> yeah. at the wolf. They're like, have you ever seen a moose? Do you know what a moose <laughs> looks like? Well, that, that was good. Um, that was clearly a wolf. Yeah, clearly no no doubts about it. <laughs> yeah, that actually he ends up saying something like, I'm just like living in a world of reefer or whatever like line he says there. And apparently that's like a reference to an earlier scene they had to cut where mm. the rest of the group was like making fun of him for that or something. I don't know. They said the only stuff they cut from the movie was like before that moment to tighten up the beginning. <laughs> Um, I, I'm sorry that I'm distracted, but I'm reading Marty quotes, and one of you pointed out the credit card thing. Kurt says, "I don't, yeah. I don't think they take credit cards." Marty says, "I don't think it knows about money." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Before barter gas. Yeah. Oh my god, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> no, Marty's fucking Mar- the heart of this movie, man. Yeah. yeah, um, you know, he also is the voice of reason, even when like everyone else is being affected, like when they're in the cabin and Chris Hemsworth has just got back from uh, Dana being or not Dana, his girlfriend Jules being de- decapitated by the uh, the Buckner family mm-hmm. or the Buckner dad, I guess. And uh, he's in and he's like, you know, we should stay together. We should go explore. And then the, the control people are like, oh, fuck, he's going to they're going to say they're going to ruin the plan. And they like punch in like something to puff out of the vent. Right. As Chris Hemsworth walks by and he's like, you know, what? second thought, I think we should split up. And then the nerdy guy or the guy's falling into the nerdy role is like, yeah, that's a good idea. And Marty's like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? <laughs> like, that's not a good idea at all. Yeah, that that part was great. This movie is funny as fuck. It is very funny. and. It's so interesting. Like, 
we haven't directly said this, but we've kind of alluded to it. Like every aspect of this movie can be sort of seen as a commentary on the industry of horror movies. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of how I view the bureaucracy or whatever we're calling them, where it's like they they are basically like the movie studios who are putting out these cheap, you know, stereotypical horror movies just to like appease, you know, the masses, the audience. And it's not even like uh organic, you know, interesting process anymore. It's just putting in the putting in the work, like showing up and putting on a show basically like the the two characters do. Mhm. I like you know when they're flipping through the TVs when when they're like oh, everybody else failed, and they start flipping through Japan and a bunch of other countries. When they hit uh, Buenos Aires, it's a giant King Kong monster that's laying dead on the ground, and I had never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I didn't notice that. I thought that was fucking cool. I also read that the merman, most of this, most of the movie, <laughs> all those monsters are practical effects. The wolfman, like, almost every one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming besides the tree, but... uh. The merman apparently took 12 hours and they had to carry that actor around on a stretcher. Could not walk around. For the merman? Yes. Hmm. That was uh, was pretty scary, though. The most painful makeup. He was completely immobile. And when he was lying on the floor, they would just give him a pillow and he'd kind of curl up in the fetal position and just go to sleep until he needed him. That's horrible. (laughs) Yep. They said there's a lot of really cute pictures of the merman napping. Wow. And we, we'd go gently wake him up and say, it's time to kill. See, this is why, this is my <laughs> argument against uh, vegetarianism and veganism. No offense, Patrick. Wow. If, wow. I feel, I feel personally attacked, If we're doing John. this shit to humans, why should we treat animals better than humans? You know what I'm saying? We're doing all this shit to people. We should stop uh, doing that first. Everybody, these are John's words, not mine. No, but I feel the same way sometimes. I'm like, see, like, whenever you see a homeless guy in the street, and you're like, fuck, man, people care more about, like, homeless dogs and stuff than homeless people, you know, sometimes. It's like, this is kind of, like, skewed a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I, I was I was joking. I don't, I don't hate vegetarian people or anything like that. You heard but, it uh, here first, everybody. John hates vegans and vegetarians with a passion. Yeah, I just, you know, I hate that we live in a society where that man had to deal with that, especially since he probably didn't get paid enough for it, to be honest. Definitely. Almost right. definitely not. Yeah, 100% did not get enough money. But can we talk about how awesome it was to see the merman and the irony of that one bureaucracy guy getting killed by the merman as that being the one creature that he had not seen up to that point? Yeah. And till he did see it, <laughs> it's about to eat his face. Yeah. And the other guy even told him, like, dude, you don't want to see the merman. They're fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're horrifying, man. And he's like, they have the worst cleanup afterwards. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You see the, uh, the blow, the blowhole was just like spewing blood after he, like, bit into that dude's face um i wanted to point out that those two guys those actors i really like both of them the one guy is uh john c Riley's dad in Step Brothers. right he's really funny and good in that role and then the other guy is uh jake peralta's dad from brooklyn 99 
also very funny in that role. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of both of those guys, and I thought, I don't know, they like they kind of carried this movie along with Marty, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially um, the guy, uh, Bradley Whitford, um, when he gets kind of like honest and is kind of taking the veil away after everyone's killed except the they who everyone they think is killed except uh, Dana the Virgin. And he's like, you know, like I'm really kind of rooting for her, you know, like she's kind of some heart. Like we fulfilled the ancient's request. Everything is, you know, the Virgin is an optional death as long as she suffers. And then he's like, you know what, I'm kind of rooting for her to survive. And then you see people walk in with like tequila and cake and stuff. And he's like, tequila! And like immediately shuts that emotions down and goes yes. to celebrate with tequila. For sure. For sure. That That's funny. I never, I, I remember that, but I didn't think about the actual like human emotional gravity of that. Where for a single second, he let himself be human and care. And as soon as anyone else came in to observe that, it immediately went away. And he had to like mask that that was a part of him. Yeah. Um, and uh, <sighs> sorry, Jesse, you can go ahead. No worries. Uh, when they're having sex in the woods right before Jules gets killed, Jules, right? Isn't uh-huh. that Dana? Cool. Dana? No, that's Jules. Oh, okay. Uh, the blah, 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 blah. They're having sex in the woods and they're talking about seeing her boobies. And mm-hmm. the one of the guys is like, gotta keep the customer satisfied. And I'm like, who is the fucking customer in this scenario? It's is the ancients. It, I guess. Okay. I, I guess. Yeah. It's also, I wasn't, I, metaphorically speaking, the fans of horror movies. Right. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, I mean, so, so there are some people who, when they come to a schlocky horror slasher movie, they're expecting to see some titties, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. You're right. That is one, a trope. And that is they hit so many little like, well, we're going to see a girl in her underwear. We're going to see them jump into the lake. We're going to see some boobies like there's a they hit so many marks. I love this movie. Does anyone have any final thoughts before we get to our rating and review part of the podcast? Yes. Does anyone have anything to say about the last (laughs) 30 minutes of this movie? I would love to talk about the very ending of this movie. And I thought it doesn't, I mean, this movie doesn't go where you think it's going to go. I think it's fair to say Um, at any point in the movie, it's kind of like you expect these people to get killed and they kind of do to a point. Marty survives. because He's the one person you didn't see get, you know, explicitly butchered on screen. He's kind of a badass, and honestly, by the end of the he's movie. Kind of he is a badass. badass. And he's kind of through luck as well, because it's not just Marty saving himself as long with everyone else. He gets lucky. Like, uh, I think Patience was the Buckner daughter who comes by and saves him when he's about to get shot by Sigourney Weaver, the uh, director character. Mm-hmm. And then he finally like gets to talk with Dana and they're like, you know what? Yeah. You know, like, well, fuck it, man. There's nothing else to do. And they don't kill each other. They don't do anything. And they put those bodies down or they kick, he kicks patients and the director down the tube and then the ancients rise up. And then, um, we can assume that the world ends and everyone else gets killed uh-huh. because they refuse to play along, which is kind of awesome. I don't yeah. think it's awesome. Um, this was going to be my question to you guys is oh. what would you do in this situation? Because 
if I'm in Marty's situation, I'm like, bitch, you're more of a fool than me. Fucking, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, uh, but then you'd have to read the entire the, the ritual world would have to be we're talking about. Oh, so, so we, again, we come to the utility equation here. What's more, like the utilitarian equation, benefit cost and all that. Like, I don't what, even what, think it's a yeah. utilitarian question. I think it's just a question of pragmatics. I mean, the entire world or, or one cute girl. I mean, if they it's not just one, does it fulfill ahead, a prophecy? Like, no, they if, have to keep doing it every year. No, I know, but I mean, like, even at the end right there, if mm-hmm. he kills her, doesn't she need to die by a monster? No, no, no. He needs to die. Marty has to die. She is optional, but she cannot die unless Marty's also dead. Okay. So, like, if Marty she, just, like, they told her to himself kill in the hole. Right. Then it would have been saved. Yeah. Marty okay. would have, like, yeeted himself into the abyss. Uh, the prophecy or the ritual would have been fulfilled and they would have been safe for another year. But then we had to do it again. So I think it's awesome that they killed everybody on planet Earth. I, <laughs> Patrick. Oh my God. Yeah, I, then, I, I, uh, I don't agree. So I'm, I'm glad. Where do you come, come down on it, Jesse? Ooh. I there, there's two answers for the movie being a movie. I think that's one of the best possible endings they could have done. The wilder and crazier, the bet, and and un, as the more unpredictable, the better. If I was in that situation, I would like to think I would let someone kill me. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm a giant wuss, and that's not what I want, and I would rather just fucking Rogue One sit down and, like, face the end with my bud, but I thought there was a possibility of saving this. Yeah, like, probably would have killed myself. Maybe it would be cool to have watched uh, Dana become the next director you know it is i guess we should say it i'm assuming everyone on planet earth would be dead but we don't actually know that i should have gotten a round of applause for that you two (laughs) i don't i just want to back up for a second that was the greatest fucking idea i've ever had it's whatever it's whatever (laughs) you gave me something to think about for sure imagine the next director having any amount of motivation and true investment in this besides like I'm rich and can make this happen. She's like, my best friend, all my friends. I was part of this. That's almost like fucking Squid Game level. I don't think she's, I don't think the director is like that. I think the director is just used to making this wager year after year, mm-hmm. you know, day in, day out. Like, you know, this is the what we have to do to keep, you know, 7 billion people alive is sacrifice five people in one mm-hmm. country a year. And like, that's a bet. That's a wager that most people I think would make. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's uh, get to the rating and review part of the podcast. As always, Patrick, we begin with you. Tell us uh, what you thought and what would you give it in terms of good, weird, great. I'm going to give this a seven out of seven good, weird, great kingdoms. This was a great horror movie, solid on every front. Um, It moves along very quick. Is it like an hour and a half? I feel like it's not that long. Yeah, yeah, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's it's the correct uh, duration for any movie. Yeah, the perfect yeah, runtime. Yeah, not a lot of fat on this movie. It's pretty good. I loved every part of it. Um, I love everything they did. I don't have many complaints. I don't even think I have one complaint. I kind of wanted to see more monsters besides the uh, Buckner family in the beginning, like a little more time, but you kind of see every kind of monster at the end chaos scene, so that kind of makes up for it. But yeah, I love this movie. I personally will give it 
7 out of 7 good, 7 out of 7 weird, and then probably like 5 out of 7 great. I really like this Explain movie. Yourself. I'm a huge fan of horror movies, so for you to do a parody of horror movies or a satirical horror movie, it has to be really on point and really accurate and true to the history and tradition of horror movies for me to like it. And so I think this movie pretty much nails it. Like, it's a commentary on horror movies without being insulting or demeaning to the art form of horror movies. And that's what it's trying to do. And it did it very effectively. So it's pretty perfect. Almost perfect. Uh, Jesse, what about you? Oh, boy. Uh, It's been one of my favorite movies since it came out. And I don't think there's really been anything like it since. And I'm real fucking bummed that it's been 12 years and we haven't had a sequel or a prequel. <laughs> I guess they all have to be prequels, to be fair. But, uh, yeah. man, uh, d- good? Seven. Weird? Seven. Great? Seven. Nice. is perfect for what it is trying to be and that's how i think about movies i'm not putting this up against our other sevens i'm putting this up against what it was trying to execute on and it fucking sends it uh i and and i keep trying to be like oh maybe it's not perfect (laughs) like and that's just retroactive fucking i'm retconning memories if i say that like when this movie came out, it fucking it was perfect. And any amount anything I could even criticize would be something I had to have sat for 12 years and tried to consider. Uh so everybody needs to watch this movie. If you haven't seen this movie, I'm going to need you to sacrifice yourself to the gods. I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. Mhm. All right. Well, thank you so much everybody for listening once again to the podcast. Um, you can email us at goodweirdgreat at gmail.com. You can, I don't know, review the podcast on iTunes. I have nothing to back this up, but I have heard that is the best thing you can do to help a podcast get a bigger audience. So if you like us, then you should do that. Yeah, maybe give us like a good, weird, great review. You can also uh, find Rabbit Road, who made our intro and outro music on SoundCloud. It's all lowercase and with spaces between the letters. You can follow us on TikTok. You can follow us, or you can follow Jesse at Jesse underscore wind. And I think that's pretty much it. So yeah, until next time, uh, when you're lost in the underground monster silo, look for the bureaucrats. Am I on speakerphone? No. Ahoy. I don't know who's in the room. Look for the fungus. Fungus, fungus. Okay. No, seriously, am I on speakerphone? No. I actually love that we did a tangent about horses and giraffes. And I didn't even bring up that I got kicked by a horse. You got kicked by a horse in real life? 
Fuck yeah, I did. I lived on a horse ranch for a couple of years. You grew up on a horse farm? <laughs> <laughs> kind of.